with their tanks and their guns and their bombs and their guns. God, I love that song. It's always driven me crazy. I mean, I love that song. But yeah. it's like, She's just bombs. really good at enunciating. Hey, Hudson, what show is this? I'm not sure, actually. This is Four Friends Fight About Film, a podcast about movies and things more important than movies, if we ever find any. For the first time in four weeks, Hudson actually gave the right title Good to job. the episode. Oh, shoot. I forgot I was supposed to change the title every time. You it was the thing I was to, doing. It was hilarious. No, it's no, a huge laugh every time. Because what I found is that yeah. what the only thing more important than movies is Hudson getting the title of the podcast right. We finally the first found time. something. With Easter on the horizon, we thought we'd talk about another group of folks who rose from the dead zombies. Sure to lose half our listeners comparing their Lord and Savior to horror movie creatures. I don't know if we're comparing. Inspired by. Yeah. No, well, he's the original zombie sequel. Uh, and the original zombie was Lazarus. There you go. Give me a disclaimer here. I had nothing to do with that part. Give me things people are really going to be upset yeah. about that. If they uh, haven't, email least... Kyle Gibson at Four Friends. <laughs> Look, the point is if somebody finds that offensive, they have not listened to the show for a long time. <laughs> so they stopped weeks ago. Yeah. All right. We'll be picking our three favorite zombie movies to kick us off. Say your name, and if you could bring any celebrity back from the dead, who would it be, Lance? This is Lance. I'm going to pick a uh, regular on the show, director John Hughes, because oh. I miss him, hmm, and I would one. love to see more of his movies. Definitely. Although he wasn't really directing in the, his later life, okay, but maybe he would when he, if he came back. He, you know, I hope so. A second chance. Uh, my name is Hudson. I'm going to go with a young actor who was taken too soon. The star of Ladybugs, Sidekicks. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I knew you were doing Jonathan Quest Brandis. 2032. Are you laughing at his death? Jonathan Brandis. Yeah, this, this seems no, offensive. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> so this isn't offensive to you, but okay. Gabby, too soon. Oh, Seriously, old JB. That was that was shocking and sad when that happened. I remember. Sorta. Kind of. What do you mean, sorta? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Apologies to the Brandis family. <laughs> yeah. Hope they're not listening. Uh, my name is Kyle the Gibster Gib- Gibson. What <laughs> 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 well, that third name was, was there? Uh, I would bring back Wilford Brimley. He's not dead. <laughs> Still kicking. Totally I'd actually connected. bring back Philip Seymour Hoffman. Miss uh, that guy. He had, yeah. Oh, Phil Hoffman, who will actually come up things. on the show tonight. Mm-hmm. In an unexpected film. Yeah, very unexpected. Interesting. <laughs> uh, Jordan. My name is Jordan. Fritz Lang. Oh. Because I would really like to see choice. what he would do with yeah. movie making today. Interesting. That would be great. Some new tools. Of course, half the people mm-hmm. listening have no idea who we're talking about. Well, I thought you were Look it up. About. Google it. Bing uh, it. Great, Ask Jeeves. Great German director from the... 30s, 40s era, made great films like Metropolis, Total Movie, Metropolis. uh, Incredible director from the early days of film. Are you saying a guy named Fritz was from Germany? Yeah, we'll we'll (laughs) talk about him when we talk about uh, movies directed by guys named Fritz. We'll get to that episode. (laughs) Coming up next season. Next week. All right, we asked you guys on Facebook and Twitter for your favorite zombie movies. Zombie. We got a few suggestions. This is Joe Parisi. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. (laughs) Joe, when did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> Joe's had about seven different voices. Bill Cosby, when did you get here? 
<laughs> There's some argument over Invasion of the Body Snatchers, whether that is a zombie movie or not. Uh, it's about aliens that come and deliver pods and people get... In a very zombie-ish type way. Yeah, That's so true. it's zombie-like, but... Yeah. Is it zombie? Zombie-ish. Hmm. Alrighty, who wants to take this next one? This is Bob Aylstock. I'm also going to do a Bill Cosby impression. <laughs> <laughs> if all zombie movies join together like Voltron... Then Obama's return living dead would be there. No idea what you said, and I was reading what you said. Of the living dead. Well, you said if all zombie movies join together like Voltron, what I'm wondering is what if all Voltron movies join together to be a a zombie movie, what would the head of that be? Probably a lion type thing. A lion type thing. (laughs) I guess that makes sense. Just trying to be clever. Last one. Jordan, Gibby, you guys want to fight over this one? Yeah, let's fight over it. Hey, let's do it at the same time. Derek, Derek Carter, Carter Shaun of, of the Dead, original Dawn, Dawn of, of the, the Dead, and Zombie Land. Still, still terrible. <laughs> uh, Derek has very similar taste to all of us. <laughs> all three of us, because all three of us, yeah, <laughs> to all three of us. <laughs> Keep screwing that up. Yep. Welcome well, to none of these three friends fight about film. If you want your favorites read on the show in Bill Cosby's voice, you can leave your comments at facebook.com slash fightaboutfilm or at fightaboutfilm on Twitter. Are we just trying to offend everybody today by <laughs> yeah. calling Jesus a zombie Not, and, might as and well. doing Bill Cosby impersonations? Yeah, we're just rolling with and it, guys. Bill Cosby. Um, Lance, kick us off with your number three zombie movie. I can think of no more fitting way to kick the show, the show off. <laughs> than with Josh Ink Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> than with the film that really started this genre. In 1968, George Romero took $114,000 that I guess he just had laying around, headed to Pittsburgh with a ragtag crew, and created Night of the Living Dead, the 1968 classic. Masterpiece. Yeah. Incredible film. Uh, The plot is simple. A zombie outbreak occurs, and a group of people are holed up in a house trying to survive and escape. So in our romantic episode, Gibby brought up a film called It Happened One Night that was the template for romantic comedies. And the same could be said of uh, Night of the Living Dead for zombie movies. This is really the film that started the genre as we know it today, and that makes this an absolutely necessary entry on this list. So what's odd is I realized that um, prepping for this episode, I'd never seen this entire movie. Mm. I'd seen bits and pieces of it here and there. So a couple of nights ago, I watched it really for the first time, and a few things struck me. First, the influence of it is remarkable. You see, like, where's all the color? <laughs> well, they're dead, so they don't have a lot of color. Co- completely colorless. Uh, we will get into color shortly, though, because that actually does play a role in this film. You see all the classic tropes here. The solitary confinement of survivors, the infighting among the group, even some of the scenes like getting trapped in the car. And you really can't understate the impact this movie had and continues to have on a genre that it basically created. Uh, this film was one of the very first added to the National Film Registry, and you can absolutely understand why in terms of just pure influence. Second, as many great moments as it has, it really does go off the rail sometimes in ways that were almost kind of funny. For example, there's a the, the movie almost seems to stop halfway through and turns into a 10-minute argument between the group about whether they should go down into the cellar or stay up in the house. And you're just sitting there like, okay, let's wrap this conversation up and get back to the zombies. <laughs> it introduces one of my favorite things ever in horror movies, which is the contrarian guy in the group. Um, so like think Bill Paxton and Aliens. Think yeah. Lance Hurd and Four Friends About Films. <laughs> <laughs> Always the first one to die. <laughs> so this is the guy who... Wait, what? 
<laughs> what do you know that? Uh, okay. So this is the guy who's just determined to disagree with every common sense decision that the rest of the group wants to make. And in this movie, it's uh, a character named Harry. And his level of bad decision making is rivaled only by how absolutely sure he is that he's right and how combative he's going to be about it. Like he's almost turned off the fact the world as he knows it has completely fallen apart and he could die at any moment. And instead he's laser focused on making sure everyone agrees with him. And I, I absolutely love that character. It wasn't supposed to be funny, but I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> the first half of the film is pretty slow, but it really picks up in the second half with some shocking scenes, especially from for 1968. One is where we see the zombies sitting there just, well, eating people. Mm. The film just stops for a minute. And we just watched that happen. And it's really gross now in 2017. And I cannot imagine what that was like for people back then who hadn't seen anything close to a scene like that. Mm. The second is a scene where one of the people holed up in the house is a little girl who was wounded and is being taken care of by her parents in the cellar. She dies, turns into a zombie, and kills her mom. And that scene was really disturbing yeah. and still holds up today. It is arguably the most impressive scene in the film from a pure filmmaking standpoint. And it, it set a precedent of nearly every zombie has to have a child zombie in it. Yeah. Well, which, which is which still is, disturbing. Which is... <laughs> 50 it, movies later. It, it is, but in that, that you see that over and over and again in this film. You see so many things. I mean, every scene, it seems like something that is still being ripped off by mm-hmm. zombie movies. It's incredible yeah. how, how, how they did that. Uh, what existed in pop culture for zombies before Night of the Living Dead? I think what you had was you had things that were close to zombies, yeah. like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. You would have things about people changing to the point where they were not really themselves. Yeah. But I don't know that you had actual return from the dead movies. Now, there may be some schlocky 1940s movie with Boris Karloff in it or something well, that, that did that. What's his name? Uh, the, the sci-fi writer, the uh, Twilight Zone writer that we talked about. Matheson. Richard Matheson. We'll talk about later. Had written I Am Legend, which was originally vampires, but yeah. uh, but very zombie-like. So it's it's gotcha. thought of that he, <clears throat> yeah. he sort of injected Romero's version of zombies into pop culture. So I don't know that there's not something you couldn't say before this that you could technically consider a zombie movie, but... But almost not, everything we know about zombies yeah. came from this movie. When you think of zombie movies, they're this. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the first thing that did that. Right. You know what came immediately after this? <clears throat> Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? The show had zombies in it. Well, pretty cool. Let's cut that. <laughs> <laughs> so... T- <laughs> that, seg- that segment's over. <laughs> this is one of the most profitable movies of all time, yes, grossing yes over 263 times its budget. Amazing. Yeah. I saw Romero received very little of that money because he didn't know anything about distribution. Apparently did not know, know what to do with that. Sucks yep. to be George A. Yeah. So sure. technically speaking, this movie is really interesting. It's clearly an indie film, including moments where the sound just sort of disappears at times. So it's even the things about indie films that aren't good things necessarily. <laughs> but it's a great example of how a filmmaker having a limited reason resources can be an advantage. Um, you know, the chaotic camera angles, the unorthodox movement of the camera lends itself to or adds to the sensation of the chaos that the main characters are going through and it helps put the viewer in that mindset, which is really, which is a really cool thing to watch. Yeah. Social commentary note that's often brought up here is that this was one of the very first films to feature a black character as its main character. Uh, Dwayne Jones plays Ben, the guy who kind of takes charge of the group. And you don't think about it today, but at the time it was probably kind of a weird thing for audiences to see a black character leading and bossing around a group of white people. Definitely. Um, now the convention wisdom is that Romero was trying to make some sort of statement here, um, especially when it comes to the character's fate at the end, which I won't spoil here. But he, he actually wasn't. He hired Jones because he was a guy who stood out as best for the part, and the decision was understandable as the Ben character is very, very likable in this film and, mm. and definitely helps take it to a new height. Phenomenal movie. There's, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you have no excuse. They did a colorized version. Oh, I bet that was great. I haven't seen it. <laughs> That's got to be hilarious. Gross. They should do it only, uh, the only color thing is blood. Yeah. Yeah. Schindler's List. Or they could just leave. Or they could just leave it alone. Yeah, that's a good point. That's another thing they could do. That's a great point. My number three. This feels a little weird doing this back to 
arguably one of the greatest zombie movies of all time to my young adult version here. Oh, I thought you were going to say one of the worst zombie movies. <laughs> no, I love this movie. One of my favorite zombie movies is Warm Bodies. It, but it is one of the worst no, zombie movies. it's awesome. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. You'll have your shot. We'll see. I hope people don't see. I don't think anybody should watch this, but go on. 2013 <laughs> film is written and directed by Jonathan Levine. The film is narrated by R, a zombie who has no recollection of his previous life. He kills people, but he feels conflicted about it. Unlike the Bonies, who are the more bad zombies who have no humanity left in them. When R and his friends are attacked by a group of humans, R kills and eats the brains of one of them. Oh, did I make it clear that R was a zombie? Yeah, I said that. If he's not, he's a real jerky human who eats other <laughs> yeah, humans. Not a good man. He's got some issues. Uh, so when R eats brains, he can relive the emotions and memories of the human's brain that he's eating. And this particular human had a girlfriend named Julie, who R quickly develops feelings for. Oh, of course you picked this movie. <laughs> yeah. You, of course yeah. you picked a romantic zombie movie. Yep. Oh, you should have uh, seen this, Lance. Uh, you should have no, seen yeah, so you'll watch it. You'll this. Yeah, you'll watch it. This movie is so good. watch this. Keep All right, after saving her life from other zombies, he decides to escort her back home. And in this case, home is a walled city run by her militant anti-zombie father, played by John Malkovich. And he learns yeah. how to be more human yeah. along the way. What is John Malkovich doing in I this? I don't know. I think he gets paid money for his good movies. <laughs> Okay, but Richard Roper calls it a well-paced, nicely directed, post-apocalyptic love story with a terrific sense of humor and the um, guts to be unabashedly romantic and unapologetically optimistic. Two words that could easily describe myself. Mm. Richard Roper should stop commenting on movies. Yeah. Well, that's what he gets paid to do. He was Richard Roper. After that review, he's Dick Roper. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely a young adult novel version of Zombies, but that's because it was based on a young adult novel of the same name by Isaac Marion. It's got the attractive young leads, the indie rock soundtrack, and of course, young love. Then again, that's all stuff that I love. At the same time, it's funny and sweet and still has enough scares and set pieces to make it a fun, exciting flick and a fresh take on the zombie genre. I agree. I think that's one reason why I liked it. Okay. You forgot to mention something else that it's based on. A little story called Romeo and Juliet. We have Mm. R as Romeo and Julie Julie as Juliet and M as Mercutio and on down the list. Hmm. Well, you're right, Jordan. I did not bring that up because I think that part's really stupid. Yeah, it's (laughs) awful because the most impactful part of Romeo and Juliet is the tragedy, right? Yeah. Well, Are you about in to this, spoil the film? Yep. We don't know what's going to happen with no. these two star-crossed lovers. Yes, we do. <laughs> they both live. And guess what? They fall in love. And guess well, what? Well, technically one already died. They watch the city Yeah, but rebuilt. his heart cool. starts beating again. Yeah. Yeah. And all of his love. buddies' hearts start beating again. <laughs> and he gets to live. And all the zombies and the humans live in harmony. And they tear down the wall of the walled city. And this, do you guys remember how mad I was about that (laughs) stupid time travel movie that you guys love about time? Oh, yeah. That movie's awesome. That movie made me mad. (laughs) This movie made me maybe madder than I've ever been in my whole life. More mad than I've ever even been at Lance. (laughs) What part? Mm. The part I just talked about. Oh, the whole movie. It was funny and (laughs) charming in a terribly obnoxious way in the beginning. Here's what I don't get. So it's a take on the Romeo and Juliet story, which is tragic because they die yeah. at the end. How yeah. do they die in this if they're zombies? See, they don't. I don't even oh. think... I, I didn't... I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen this movie three times and I really like it. I didn't even catch on to the Romeo and Juliet I'm the thing same way. I until didn't I looked at either. the trivia and 10 I seconds And I think it's ago. because... I'm, sorry, I'm still caught up on I've seen this movie three times. I think I it's because the like Romeo it. and Juliet story is so ingrained in just every single bit of storytelling yeah. at this point that you don't... I mean, I didn't notice the name thing which clearly either. popped out to you like... In the other 11 movies we have, they're... 
the Romeo and Juliet is not ingrained in that. Yeah, not. <laughs> I don't not know even if that's a, a good bit. argument. Not <laughs> even a little bit. It's just like, hey, let's let's take every other young adult love movie and just make half of them zombies because we'll put, we'll make him live in a cool spot and he'll collect vinyl records and he'll listen oh, he to like cool funny. old stuff. Is he an editor of a cool music magazine for a for a job? <laughs> But you know what? They also didn't. (laughs) (laughs) They also didn't skimp on world creation, though. Like I felt like he did some interesting things with the zombies to add. Yeah, I thought that that whole thing when they eat the person's brains and get their feelings and memories. Sure, that's interesting. interesting. It makes them feel kind of human again. I find this movie to be really funny and charming. Thanks, Gibby. High five. Hey, it's more of a virtual. It, you guys can enjoy it all you want. We do. I, I thought it was trash. Yeah, and we figured we we figured you would. And I, I know that Shakespeare is rolling in his grave on this one. I just hope he's able to get out and, <laughs> and slowly <laughs> get to the makers of this film and eat, and their, eat brains. their brains. <laughs> um, it should say something that this was the film that Gibby and I fought over having on this podcast. <laughs> this is yep. uh, this is probably one of my, if not my favorite zombie movie. As if you Maybe guys, my favorite zombie. As movie. if you guys couldn't lose wow. your dignity anymore here. Wow. I mean, I'm not saying that, that every zombie need, movie needs to be the same because mine are yeah. all drastically different. But like, and one Did of my deals Jurassically with, different? <laughs> Jurassically different. Because <laughs> Jurassic, Jurassic Park 2 is it's actually kind, on my list. kind of a zombie yeah. movie. That's true, yeah. yeah. Come back to life. Yeah. Oh, right. man. Give me a chance to talk Gibby about Jurassic Park. Gibby likes zombies now. Gibby, Created. number three. Your number three zombie film is... Sorry. My number three, <laughs> my number three zombie film is World War Z, 2000. 13 action. I think it's pronounced World Wars. Yeah. World Wars. Uh, it's a 2013 action world travelogue movie. Sounds stars like a, Brad Pitt. Like a rap label. World Wars. What is he? Sorry. <laughs> world Wars. Uh, Brad Pitt is Jerry Lane, a former UN investigator or something like that, who retired from the hectic <laughs> UN life four years earlier. <laughs> To spend time with wow. his family. I didn't, I didn't really know what he did, actually, for the UN, but he was important. Uh, it begins in a great scene with him and his family traveling through downtown Philadelphia as a zombie outbreak hits the city, and there's mass chaos. Um, because of his skills in investigation, Jerry is rescued by the UN and then forced to travel the world, going to places like South Korea, Jerusalem, Newark, New Jersey, and Wales to find out how the zombie virus began. So I don't really understand what wow. his exact skill was. He's good at investigating things? Yeah, he uses his smarts and investigation skills to put the pieces together. Of what caused Why didn't they pick like a outbreak? detective or something? I don't. I didn't Sherlock. understand that. Well, yeah. He was like an investigator or something for you. And I, don't know. I guess he was really good because that dude's like Jerry. You need to do it. What do they <laughs> hope to find out by finding out the, the what started it? They're it's hoping to find patient zero and what started cure. fit a cure. Apparently, in zombie movies, you, if you get their blood, you can reverse it or something. I've never understood really? that. Reverse engineer it or something yeah. to find a cure. I don't know Two if that's realistic, but yeah. that's a common trope in a lot of zombie movies I've seen. I mean, you can't cure zombies because they're. They're dead. They're dead. So you just, I mean, the way to cure them is to sh- shoot them or destroy their head. So this was another virus one, right? Not a, uh, they did not rise from no, the No, they're grave. dead. I mean, they die in the movie. And then there's that scene at the beginning in Philadelphia when he sees somebody turn into a zombie. And it's like. That scene they, was really cool, by the way. Actually, yeah. The, I mean, one of the things I really liked about this movie, one, it's, it's pretty fun. Uh, and it's cool to see all this stuff happen in foreign cities. But there's at least like three or four really fantastic set pieces in the film that just does a great job. One of them is the beginning, the outbreak in Philadelphia. And he does a great job with like a helicopter camera shot, and it's just really cool. <sighs> so, and so now, before we get into this, uh, Lance is about to go off about how good the book is and how it would have made a terrible movie. Thanks for that preview, Gibby. That's exactly what I'm about to do. So this is endlessly frustrating. This movie for anybody who read the book. The book is incredible. It's one of the. Be- it's literally one of the best books I've ever read. I've been meaning to read it. And, read and it. the idea of the book is that it's a guy going back years after World War Z, which is what they call the Zombie War, mm-hmm. and he's going. He's going back and he's telling the stories from different perspectives. So we get the stories that look like the astronauts in space, what they were seeing, people in different countries, and how 
different countries were handling it. People out on the ocean, how they were handling it. And what it is, is it's a series of like little short stories. And it was awesome. And I remember reading the book and thinking, God, this would be such a good movie. I don't see how they could have made that into a movie. Oh, they could have totally made that into a movie. It could have been a series of short stories that you could have unified in a single story. And instead, what they did was they said, hey, let's take this amazing source material that has sold millions of copies because of its unique storytelling device mm-hmm. and said, yeah, let's just get rid of what made it interesting and made people buy it to begin with and let's just tell a standard zombie movie. And that was, and again, I'm not saying it was a bad movie. It had some great scenes in it, but it was such a missed opportunity that I still don't understand why they did it that way. I didn't think it was a standard zombie movie, even the way the final product ended up. But you don't, I feel like you haven't really seen any zombie movies. I don't see how this isn't a standard zombie movie. It's uh, it's an outbreak. Uh, well, it, it's a bunch like of a people. big budget action yeah. adventure version yeah. of one. There hadn't been yeah. one, yeah. yeah. And it's all across the world. I mean, I thought it was pretty cool him going from town. You go to Jersey, city to city. Lance. Jersey. Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> How did they do that? Special effects wizard. They didn't shoot that on location. No way. I mean, I'm not saying it's great, but the well, three pick, scenes that I think of. one of the three greatest zombie movies of all time. Kind of saying that. Let's wait till we get to my number one. It's awesome. <laughs> they're, 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 the set pieces are. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <yeah. laughs> the, the set pieces. I mean, there's just. Oh, enough with the really cool set scenes. pieces, Gibby. <laughs> There's a thing that takes place in an airplane. That's an awesome. Okay, thing. yeah, great. I saw a movie about snakes on one of those, and then the one in the cool. world. Again, okay. not not a bad movie. The, the scenes in Israel, in particular, are really fascinating with the wall that they built, and when the zombies start scaling the wall. Like, there's some great moments in it, no doubt about it. But again, I, I don't understand why you take the thing that made this worth making, that attracted so much interest, and then you just undercut that thing out of it. The storytelling de- device was why the book was so popular, and they eliminated that. It just it perplexed me. Yeah, it's pretty so, bizarre. Are you gonna talk? about the uh i mean the most fascinating story behind this is the reshooting that they yeah, did this is this is one of those you hear movies you hear about had a disastrous production yeah this is one of those Go so ahead. apparently they, they, they turned in a cut of the film and apparently the end was just totally incoherent incoherent i uh, like the way you damon, said incoherent. <laughs> <laughs> damon, it's ironic damon lindelof comes in and he presents paramount with two options one of which required them to reshoot uh 30 to 40 minutes of the film at the cost of uh i don't have it in front of me it's but 20 million dollars 20 million dollars in order to do these reshoots and paramount went for it along with the production company which is because un- they unheard of they for a company to do that yeah but normally they would release it and be like oh this is what you get we'll take our losses whatever but they actually took the time to make it a better ending and uh, it became Brad Pitt's highest grossing movie of all time. Well, the the funny thing is you see the remnants of it because you're watching the movie and all of a sudden you're like, oh, is that Matthew Fox in the background? Is he playing an extra? (laughs) And then you find out that he was playing a major part in the movie and they cut all of his stuff. No way. And you're like, why didn't he take that role? And then you find out, well, he took it because it was a bigger role. It's pretty funny. I mean, apparently, so they hired Mark Forster, who's a director and had made prior to this, well, Condom of Solace was one right before it, but prior to that, he had made- Condom of Solace? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> condom of solace. <laughs> I think James leave, Bond uh, used condoms. The, I'm leave those jokes <laughs> yeah. but prior to Quantum of Solace, he had made like kind of low budget character driven dramas, and they hired him to bring that to this movie because they really wanted that. Apparently, he didn't know what he was doing with the big budget. And by no, the time they did the research, real. Brad Pitt and Forster weren't even talking to each other reportedly. Well, let me just say this: it'd have been cool if somebody had read the book. That'd That's, have been cool. Uh, most people, should, I, I mean, one of us. If no, I mean the movie. About people who made the movie. No, they read the book. That's why they did it. I mean, the screenplay was the screenplay was completely rewritten after Paramount brought bought the probably by Damon Lindelof. So don't buy the book. I mean, that's the funny thing. I don't know how much money they spent on the book. It was all wasted. There there was no point in buying the rights to the book. Hmm. They didn't do anything with it. Jordan, number three, Cemetery Man. 
Cemetery, man. Cemetery. I see all you guys man. are familiar with this. Also known as Della Morte Della More in Italy. You guys know that? <laughs> Nobody knew that. It's a good no. dessert. And in Spain, <laughs> it is. Uh, in Spain, it's known as My Fiance is a Zombie. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, I figured you would. Uh, the, was it Italian? Yes, but uh, starring it, British people. It means like a live dead, something like that? It means of death, of love. Mm, of love. Is four this four in, friends fight about linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> is this movie in... Italian or is it in English? It's in English because it stars British people. Yeah, it's all Rupert. Oh, weird. Yeah, can I announce that part? Maybe. (laughs) We've already said it twice. Anyway, directed by Michel Suave, a protege of Italian horror master Dario Argento, and starring, as Gibby said, Rupert Everett. Yes, that Rupert Everett. Cemetery Man is... The one from that one movie in the 90s that you guys remember. uh, Shrek 2. Oh, yeah, that's right. That that movie you like? Uh Uh Gibby calls the greatest comedy ever. With the the three best characters ever. (laughs) (laughs) Remember all that? Three of the best Yeah, Rupert Everett. I don't remember that. Love you, Shrek. Anyway, Cemetery man is easily one of the most insane movies i've ever seen it somehow magically straddles b-movie gore absurd satire beautiful art house aesthetics and some other things that i can't quite put my finger on think if tim burton directed the evil dead so you want to see it now don't you trying to imagine that with that description yeah uh (laughs) everett plays francesco della morte or uh, translated, that's Francis of Death. He's he's the watchman of the Buffalora Cemetery. Here, I'll actually let him explain. I'm the watchman of the Buffalora Cemetery. I don't know how the epidemic started. All I know is that some people, on the seventh night after their death, come back to life. I call them returners. <laughs> but frankly, I can't understand why they're so anxious to return. The only way to get rid of them once and for all is to split their heads open. Spade will do it, but a dum-dum bullet is best. Is this the beginning of an invasion? Does it happen in all cemeteries? Or is Buffalora just an exception? Who knows? And in the end, who cares? I'm just doing my job. Isn't that always the way? (laughs) (laughs) This movie takes all kinds of twists and turns, most of which you certainly won't see coming, and I wouldn't want to ruin the fun. And I'd tell you what the movie means or what it's a satire of, but I don't have a clue. (laughs) Uh, And and it doesn't matter, and like Francesco said, uh, who cares? Imagine Natural Born Killers co-directed by young Peter Jackson and young Guillermo del Toro. Hmm. Sounds uh, pretty different than the description was this, you gave earlier. So was this Rupert Everett's first big thing? Is this kind of what got him? This wasn't him? big. No, I know, but it was, was it like kind of as one of his first... I mean, it's a he it's a known movie. Before. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, I think this movie was a prequel for My Best Friend's Wedding, right? No, it's, same it's unrelated, it's actually. Same. Are you sure? Yeah, it's unrelated. Mm, okay. uh, the movie is based on a series of Italian horror comics called Dylan Dog that I haven't read, but I sure would like to. But they but, made more movies out of. Yes. Or a movie. I would encourage you to not let the insanity of this movie turn you off and to to make it to the end because you're, you'll be rewarded with one hell of a beautiful ending. Mm. Uh, and he says amazing things in this movie like, I'd give my life to be dead. Which is very and like, and like hey, is that a zombie over there? What's that? I'm Cemetery Man. <laughs> or, I'm what your you, Cemetery Man. What are you, some kind of Cemetery Man? That's the girl. 
That's his love interest. One thing he does I, have a love interest. He, oh, he really? falls in love with a mourning woman who comes to the cemetery every day, and he nah, falls in love with her. A, a lady of the morning, and then she accidentally <laughs> dies, and then uh, yeah, that, that's that's not the funny. opposite of a of a prostitute, <laughs> right? Yeah. I watched this trailer, and um, I could not tell you a single thing that this is about. <laughs> I mean, it was the trailer was all over the place, but it the sounds like all over the place. yeah, it sounds like based on your review, that's kind of what it is. It, it is, but it, but it's it's not. It does. I mean, it feels all over the place because it goes in all sorts of d- different directions but it's it it also feels united because it is gorgeously shot and there's tons of interesting shots it's it's really really well done and it, and rupert everett's a, a you pretty got good actor. gorgeous shots yeah, you good. got interesting shots you got beautiful shots yeah. cool shots <laughs> one thing about Neat all your shots. movies jordan is that the plot mm. keywords on imdb never cease to intrigue me Ooh. this one plot keywords cult film insanity male pubic hair Pubic hair, yeah. male pubic frontal hair. nudity. It's always, yeah. it's always a thing with him. There's quite well, a bit of nudity in this film, um, but you see a lot of Rupert Everett's butt uh, that has not this been waxed. when he worked out. It's a really, really fun movie. And, All right. And people should watch it. Maybe maybe even the people I'm it's on really, this podcast. It's a, really, it's a really fun movie Hudson's tired of hearing about. Yeah, apparently. Lance, number two. Number two zombie film. 28 Days Later, Danny Boyle's 2002 film tells the story of Jim, played by Jillian Murphy, who just to be a douchebag insists on spelling his first name with a C, so it looks like <laughs> Cillian. Sorry, that just annoys me. How do you say his first name? Jillian. You do? With a J? I think so. You sure about I've that? I've never heard anybody say it. Cillian. I've never, I've never heard, heard anybody say his like name. Killian. Killian? I would have said Killian. Cerulean? Yeah, I think it's Killian. Why would you say Killian? There's not a K at the beginning of it. The C makes a K sound sometimes. I just call him by his last name. Murphy. Yeah. Hey, Yo, Murph. Murph. Murphy plays Jim, who wakes up in a hospital bed after a coma to find that not only is he the only person in the hospital, but maybe the only person left in the city of London, as a plague has swept through the city, creating zombies out of everyone. Jim links up with a small group of survivors, including the always amazing Brendan Gleeson, to escape the city and find refuge. The film explores how the virus affects its victims, but also how it affects the survivors. So 20 day, 28 Days Later has a take on zombies that I find to be absolutely critical, which is the speed at which zombies can move. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of zombie movies kind of annoy me because it seems like if you can just like you know walk briskly you can pretty much avoid them but the, but the, the point there is that they're inescapable that they're not going to stop like I mean, Michael that's, Myers. that's what that's what makes slow zombies just put a gate up and they're good it's never seemed like as big a problem to me as it's made in the movie but look I don't know I remember the big thing about this movie was that the zombies ran yeah and it was game-changing for the zombie <laughs> well, genre you know it'd be crazy we make them run yeah. what <laughs> Romero, no. Romero's like, that's a game-changer that's <laughs> well, a game-changer right it, there it definitely made them scarier it did so it's not not just that they run, it's that they're going full speed and they mm-hmm. are horrifying. Mm-hmm. Boyle's choppy style of shooting amps everything up even more. It's this camera jumps and shakes and trembles whenever we see the infected on the move. Boyle has come up on the show a few times now and he's a fascinating director to me because he's one of those handful of directors, Kubrick, Rob Reiner, Spielberg, who, who not only isn't confined to a genre, but seems to get pleasure from not doing the same genre twice. Mm-hmm. And in this, his take on the horror genre, he definitely leaves his mark and conveys a level of professionalism that is often missing from zombie movies. The film goes through very different stages and moods whereas many zombie films are all about survivors fighting the infected that conflict is more handled in the first half of the film the second half becomes more about survivors versus other survivors as our group comes across a military installation whose inhabitants may not have the purest of intentions Boyle and screenwriter Alex Garland were very intentional about dealing with the impact that an event like this would have on the people who did survive it and how it warped them and this isn't anything unusual in zombie films but I found it particularly interesting here because it not it's not just dealing with normal people 
It's dealing with soldiers and how they react. The people who are supposed to be protecting everyone and how they become as bad as the infected themselves. And even more disturbing, you kind of follow some of their logic. The group of survivors we follow includes two women. And the reasoning of the soldiers that is explained in a speech that I may or not be able to find and play here is basically without women, a group of men has no hope going forward. No one to love or make children with. And that's what leads them to take the actions they take that really fuel the second half of the film. And so you all know that's all that's all that women are good for loving and uh, making babies. Mm. I I didn't say that. (laughs) What I'm saying is that a group of men who are together for a long period of time, you can understand why it would warp their minds to not have women around. Sure. Because it provides it's part of their future. And, you know, you could make the same argument the other way. It deals with an interesting thing about how the humanity and the two sexes need each other. Mm -hmm. And I found that very intriguing and how removing one of them from the equation affects the the remaining people. So the second half of this movie is really just a bunch of uh, fish riding around on bicycles. You might want to take that, or I don't know what to do there. You, oh, you yeah. don't, you're not familiar it's pronounced, with that saying? It's pronounced Killian. I know. Gibby's <laughs> going back to that. <laughs> I also want to say I love how Boyle starts the film, the very opening scene that explains how the epidemic starts. And personally, I like it in movies like this when they go into how the world went from normal to a complete nightmare. And he does it in a really awesome way here where we see a group of animal rights activists sneaking into a scientific research facility to release monkeys, not realizing the monkeys that they're releasing have been infected by some sort of rage-based virus. And I don't know how to explain it, but the accident well-intentioned nature of that opening scene just makes the whole thing so much more crazy and tragic. And that was such an effective story device. We never seen of the people in that scene again, but it frames the rest of it in a really eerie way, and I found myself thinking back to it for the rest of the film. I liked this movie. Um, I liked the way it was shot. So it was in that time period where we were just toying with digital video. Boyle shot it all digitally. Yeah, I think that really helped the, the movie. Yeah, it the made it feel awesome. It. Yeah. yeah, This movie falls into one of my pet peeves about endings is when you've got this huge threat of zombies and then all of a sudden the ending gets pulled out from under you and then all of a sudden you're just fighting like other humans. Uh, and I get like it's a, a statement or whatever. It's like, oh, the real enemy is humanity. You know, that's uh, a... that's. There's validity to that. But I, I just always I, feel like the stakes go down when all of a sudden you're dealing with, you know, violent humans. I never felt like the like the like the zombie threat disappeared. It was more that like I, I felt like this was very realistic. Like you you're able to in some way contain the threat of zombies, which I feel like they do. And so then you're you end up with another problem with that problem. It's a two front <laughs> battle. Yeah. Right. But where if like if if the humans can't get along and make this work, then this outside threat is is absolutely mm. going to win. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I see your point, though. I never thought of that before, but it does feel like kind of a bait and switch. It's like, sweet, I'm going to see a zombie movie. And then by yeah. the end, it's just people fighting each other. Yeah. And it's oh, because of the zombies. Again. They're still integral sure. to the story. But I, I see, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I love this movie. Absolutely love it. And Danny Boyle is one of my favorite directors ever. I have vivid memories of watching this in the theater and just being so excited. And there are arguments that this isn't a zombie movie. There are. But... Technically, people don't die and come back well, to life. Well, I don't think we really know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't think it's explicitly that they don't die. It could be an immediate thing where as soon as the life escapes from them, they, they are turned into this. And I don't, honestly, in this case, I don't think it matters. Yeah. This movie's just awesome. My number two zombie film, zombie, uh, has zombie in the title, you guys. Wow, it must what? be a zombie movie. <laughs> Is that the first one? Uh, zombie Land. The 2009 film directed by Ruben Fleischer, written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who went on to write the huge Deadpool film. Interesting. Same writers. The story is about four survivors of a zombie plague. Each one goes by the city they're from as to not grow attached. 
college student Columbus, who wants to get home to see his uh, to see if his parents survived. Tallahassee, a now an expert zombie killer who is grieving the loss of his puppy and searching the U.S. for Twinkies. And also two con artist sisters, Wichita and Little Rock, who are on their way to a supposedly zombie-free amusement park. It's really a brilliant screenplay with so much creativity on display with the different rules of zombie survival displayed on screen. And why am I alive when everyone around me has turned to meat? It's because of my list of rules. Rule number one for surviving Zombieland, cardio. When the virus struck, for obvious reasons, first ones to go were the fatties. But as the infection spread and the chaos grew, it wasn't enough to just be fast on your feet. You had to get a gun and learn how to use it. Which leads me to my second rule, the double tap. In those moments when you're not sure the undead are really dead dead, don't get all stingy with your bullets. I mean, one more clean shot to the head. And this lady could have avoided becoming a human Happy Meal. It wasn't long before the zombies began to get clever. When you're at your most vulnerable, somehow they could just smell it. Can't a guy take a dubber in peace? Don't let them catch you with your pants down. Rule number three, beware of bathrooms. And then they also do a zombie kill of the week, uh, which is interesting that all the ways that they kill zombies in the film, uh, death by piano, death by banjo, death by roller coasters. Which, as I understand it, was tied to this was originally going to be a TV show. This was written as a TV pilot. That's correct. And the idea was that every week on the show, they would do a zombie kill of the week. That's Mm. funny. It's kind of part Hitchhiker's Guide, part Scream, uh, and it's kind of the way that it looks at uh, zombie movies. Spoofing the genre. (laughs) Right. But it's not all empty cleverness. It's also got a lot of heart and some real tender moments between the leads. Arguably, the best moment is when they show up at Bill Murray's house, the actual Bill Murray. Which, was anybody else surprised that he agreed to do that? That seems like something Bill Murray would be like, "Eh, I'm not doing it. Bill Murray has such a weird acceptance of Yeah, he is is a strange filter. It does kind of make sense that he would take this. Uh, I think he's friends with Woody Harrelson, and Woody Harrelson just kind of texted him. He's like, all right. Um, Yeah, to me, it seems like something that... Bill Murray would be like, yes, yeah, that sounds like a good way to spend a weekend for a day. Yeah. So basically in the scene, they think uh, that Bill Murray's a zombie at first because he looks like a zombie, but it turns out he's just dressed like a zombie so he can go and play golf without the zombies bothering him because they all think he's a zombie. But then one of the characters accidentally shoots him when he tries to play a prank on them, pretending to be an actual zombie. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe I shot Bill Murray. It's my bad. I was never a very good practical joker. So do you have any regrets? Garfield, maybe. I read this screenplay before I saw the movie. In the script that I read, Patrick Swayze was the celebrity cameo, but apparently Swayze was unable to make it work due to his failing health. The original script had a fight scene set to I've Had the Time of My Life, where Woody Harrelson (laughs) catches zombie Swayze in the air like the scene from Dirty Dancing. Oh, that's great. It would have been great. One of the things that I, I always find interesting watching zombie movies is like I start wondering what I would do. Like, what would my strategy be? I think that's what a lot of people find interesting about zombie movies and it's one thing i liked about this movie is it played into that idea which is what would you do and what would your strategy be if a zombie outbreak happened and it deals with that question in a fun way and as somebody who's probably spent more time thinking about than they should i know what i would do i would drive to disney world and i would live in the castle (laughs) that's what i would do and so the fact that thousands of other people well i'd kill them yeah (laughs) like live people not zombies yeah yeah anybody that tries to take my 
Jeez. Sure, you castle. Know. You got to yeah. do what you got to do. Castle, yeah. Give me a minute. It's an apocalypse, for heaven's sake. Storm in that um, No, you would not. It's a pretty good strategy. But anyway, that's kind of what they do here. <laughs> like, they go to a, a, a theme park, and, like, yeah. I loved that. Uh, apparently th- filmed in our home state here, yeah, Valdosta, right. Georgia. Yeah. This movie, when it came out, was doing something that I thought was already tired and lame, which was making funny zombie movies. Mm-hmm. And so I had zero desire to see it and was already annoyed with it. And then I saw it by chance, and I really, really enjoyed it. This is a really fun movie that that isn't just making fun of zombies or, yeah. or trying to insert comedy. What's weird is it. I had no love of the zombie genre, but I felt that same way when this movie came out. Like it just it was that annoying kind of spoofy thing. I, I didn't want to see it. Yeah. I, I, I had no interest in it. And I kept hearing so many good things about it. I finally kind of gave in and I, I thought it was great. Yeah. And, and just really was. well written and uh, makes the, the whole movie kind of works. And now there should not be any more funny zombie movies. <laughs> I think we're done. I think we're good. Yeah, it'd be well, great. We got a few coming up on the show at least. Whoops. Gibby, number two, your number two zombie film. Number two zombie film, the 2007 post-apocalyptic film based upon the novel of the same name by sci-fi legend Richard Matheson, I Am Legend. That's the name of the movie in the book. Sure. Right. Not, okay. Just keep going. <laughs> the film was the second feature directed by Francis Lawrence after the woefully underrated Constantine, and well before he directed the last three movies of the Hunger Games franchise. So this movie's kind of like a testing ground for that franchise. A- anyway, let's talk about the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it stars Will Smith as Colonel Robert Neville. I'm sorry, Colonel? Colonel Robert Neville. Did you say Colonel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on purpose? I did it on purpose. I'm, I'm skeptical. <laughs> yeah. uh, an army scientist who was the one responsible for creating a virus that killed 90% of the U.S. population, then turned nine of the remaining 10% into zombies who are allergic to sunlight, don't like garlic, gets, oh my goodness, this is a vampire movie, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> no. Mm. They're zombies. That joke worked <laughs> really fine. Vampire zombies. <laughs> Works really well on paper. Yeah. <laughs> so Neville is the only normal human being remaining in an empty Manhattan, still trying to find the cure for the zombie virus to get humanity back on its feet. This film follows him and his only companion, a dog named Sam, over a week or two as they deal with the daily realities of being the only person alive in the city and maybe possibly the world. And so there's been three years since the virus hit and Neville's been stealing some zombies and testing out serums to find a cure without a whole lot of success and a lot of the zombies dying but they're just faceless brainless creatures so the movie follows his trek as he tries to find the cure about the movie itself there's some great set pieces the first 10 minutes that they <laughs> yeah, so many set pieces. There's the first Do all these pieces eventually about, fit together yeah. to create some sort of Voltron yes, zombie? There's movie. a Voltron zombie movie. This movie has sets in it. Yeah. The the first scene that I think is fantastic when it's just him in New York City driving around in a Mustang hunting deer. It was just a really cool scene. They set up Pretty this cool. great environment that he lives in and you I mean I was so intrigued by that much like I was at the beginning of Wally. So eventually in part of the story Pixar reference. Yeah. Uh, two humans make it back to the island and uh, that's where we diverge from the ending. Well that's where things to me start to go off the rails. I am legend is a reference to a twist at the end of the book. And the idea is that we go into it obviously the zombies are the bad guys and Neville is the good guy. Mm-hmm. Neville is kidnapping them at night and and basically killing them. And he's trying to do it for a good cause. And the idea is that Neville is the legend. Neville is the boogeyman who comes at night and steals the zombies. He's yeah. their bad guy. Mm-hmm. So it's a role reversal at the end of the, at the end yeah. of the book. And that's what made the book twist so great and makes the title work. I am legend. He is the legend. Mm-hmm. He is the like as Dracula is a legend to us. Neville is a legend to them, and he's right. the scary one. And they filmed that. That was the whole point of the book. 
was to have that twist at the end. And they filmed it, and apparently test audiences didn't like it. So they said, ah, let's take this awesome source material thing away at the end, and let's just make it. And the, the original ending's awesome. You can watch it online. It's it, on the it DVD. It ties it together wonderfully. <laughs> and they didn't use it. That's they, crazy. They used, the, they used the lame, we're all going to attack, here's a cure, run, I'll I'll sacrifice myself, and they didn't use it. And so it, it reminds me of World War Z. It, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, why did you use this source material if you weren't going to, like, use what made it so great. Yeah. But a couple of weeks insane. ago you had talked about how in Captain Phillips Tom Hanks is kind of a humble humble actor, humble actor and doesn't <laughs> require himself to be the big superhero. And I kind of wonder if Will Smith played in this cuz I don't see Will Smith, you know, similar to Tom Hanks and like that. that like he, was he had fine to be the, the big yeah. He's like, I'm the big I'm the sacrifice cuz at the end of the I movie that. that's released Will Smith is the hero. It does he he, he, he it becomes all about him, and that's not really the. I mean, in a way, in the book, I think Neville's supposed to kind of end up being the bad guy. Yeah, and that's what a great ending. I mean, that, yeah, that would be amazing. memorable. That would stick yep. with us. And the real tragedy of it is the first two thirds are so great. Like they're so good. Like the really first two well thirds done. of this movie are fantastic, and it starts to go off the rails in the third act. But there's and the third act should the, have been the best part. There's precedent for this, right? Because Omega Man, which is based on the same mm-hmm. source, I don't think does that. What you're saying right. it should have. And then there was also a, an, another time that this story was made into a movie called The Last Man on Earth, mm-hmm. huh. uh, which I have not seen. Vincent and I don't Price. know if it does yeah. it correctly. Vincent but. Price. <laughs> 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 uh, but I, I like I like I like this movie. I like both endings. I think if you rewatch the movie with the frame of mind that Lance has said about the end with Neville being the bad guy, it, it does take a different feel. The whole movie has a different feel, and you can tell actually the zombies, which when you're first watching are just kind of mindless, that they do have a plan. Mm-hmm. But you don't yeah. care. You'd, you you like it either way. I I, th- I think that the original ending is more significant and better. He's like, look, but guys, I didn't, I just I didn't hate a the zombie movie. movie. I didn't really care what yeah. it was. Just yeah. rolled the dice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lance. No, uh, the, the funny thing is, what? I'm glad you picked it. I just like, I think it's yeah, a great it makes choice. For a great conversation. Absolutely. It's just like, it's again, such a missed opportunity yeah. here. I was the same way. I loved the first two thirds of it and the ending doesn't kill it for me. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's a little heavy on CGI, but you know. Yeah, the zombies don't look good at all in yeah, this movie. Yeah. Jordan, number two. This movie is called Dead and Buried. <laughs> I'm the only person at this table that's seen it. <laughs> dead and buried, dead and buried, dead and buried. That's the song from it. Uh, it, is, it is not the song from it, and it is a very poorly named movie. Well, is it about people that are dead and buried? Accurate, yeah. No. Oh. Really? There's a, really. It's about sharks. We could we could talk about that if anybody had seen it. Undead and buried. Nope. There's a sleepy little town in Maine called Potter's Bluff. The sign as you drive into town says Potter's Bluff, a new way of life. It's a town where nothing bad has or ever will happen. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It just says a new you know way of anything life. Anything about movies. And that it certainly is. I let this old man driving a pickup truck tell you about it. <laughs> As he tells this nice young hitchhiker named Chance. Oh, I'm going on up here to uh, Potter's Bluff. Well, I have to stop at my place up the road, Pete, here. Hey, you want to come on up with me to Potter's Bluff? It's a real nice little town. You ever been up there? I've never heard of it before. Oh, well, come on in out of the rain, honey. There we go. You see, the townsfolk are killing strangers that come into town, including Chance, spoiler alert, with her thumb in the air. But that's not where their story ends. Someone is reanimating the victims. What? Yeah. Regardless of how charred, slashed, crushed, and so on the corpses were. Sounds icky. It it is very (laughs) icky. Reanimating them. 
Uh, so the, they're getting reanimated and then integrating back into the Potter's Bluff community. Sheriff Dan Gillis is determined to get to the bottom of the murders after a stint of particularly violent incidents coincide with some very strange behavior of his friends, neighbors, and even his wife. This is the setup of director Gary Sherman's nearly forgotten 1981 horror gem, Dead and Buried. Written by Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusett. Both famous at the time for writing the horror game changer, Alien, which was released two years prior. From the creators of Alien, terror brought down to Earth, dead and buried. Is there any way whatsoever to reanimate people after they have died? Dead and buried. It will take your breath away. Very people. All of it. Dead and buried. Rated R. Later, they would write the screenplay for Total Recall. Little Schwarzenegger. You guys seen that one? Never heard of it. Yeah, it's great. The special <laughs> effects and makeup for this movie, which are some of the best I've ever seen, were done by the now legendary Stan Winston. Here's a few of his movies. Terminator, Terminator 2, which won an Oscar. Predator, Jurassic Park. Aliens, won an Oscar. Edward Scissorhands, Hudson. Uh, Batman Returns, <laughs> Gibby. And mm-hmm. I'll say Jurassic Park again, Gibby. Uh, and The Thing, to name a bunch. <laughs> uh, to I name had, all. I, no. <laughs> not all not not even close i hadn't actually heard of this movie until recently and it absolutely blew me away it's gorgeously shot by stephen poster who would later shoot donnie darko 20 poster. years after yeah poster it doesn't matter it's it, it's he's a him stephen oh, yeah but these aren't romero <laughs> zombies there's no radiation or anything like that instead it draws from the zombie origins of voodoo and these zombies talk and when they talk it's brutal for example Is brutal. Oh, it's awesome. Ooh. It's awesome. It was really disingenuous, Hudson. <laughs> it sure was. Zoinks. <laughs> I really don't understand how I hadn't heard of this movie before, but I'm so glad I found it now. As opposed to the title, this movie isn't dead, but it has been buried. But I'd like to do anything I can to help exhume it. And you uh, have. You've done a good re- job. You should have said reanimate it. I don't need to. It's not animated. The grin uh, on your face like, after you said that. I've never seen anyone prouder. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait. You didn't know about that this movie until your segment just now? <laughs> of recently. Not quite that recently, but uh, but pretty recently. It's got a pretty fairly well-known cast. Robert England. Who would very soon after this become... A little horror car- character named Freddy Krueger. Uh, <laughs> Freddy Krueger. You had a 50-50 um, chance, Skip. <laughs> well, dead and buried. Dead and buried. Uh, <laughs> my one big disappointment with this movie... Is that none of us have seen it? <laughs> that is that is another big disappointment, but is the name, which, which I think dead and buried is, is like a really it, blah name. It sounds like a TV movie or yeah. something. Yeah, and, and I couldn't find any confirmation of this, but... If they'd called it Potter's Bluff, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term like Potter's Field yeah. or Potter's anything like that, is a, is a place where unknown people are buried. Yeah. Huh. And so Potter's Bluff, and then good. Bluff, of That's course, cool. is also a lie. Yeah. Right. So these people uh, aren't are being reanimated like and they aren't really Forever. buried in this Potter's place. You know what else would have been a good name? Zombie Land. No. Because it's a land where there's zombies. Well, give me so, well, It's more of a bluff of where there's zombies. I will say in a zombie game, that would have been a better title than yeah. <laughs> Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. It would have been a better one. Could we aim higher? Yeah. Land uh, of zombies. This is another movie like my first pick that 
regardless of how you feel about the movie going in, watch it to the end because the end is fantastic. But I think you'll be into it anyway because this has one of the most awesome first scenes I've ever seen in a horror movie. Mm. Maybe someday you guys will watch a movie that I watch the beginning and the end of this. No, the middle's cool too. (laughs) I got got five minutes. I can watch the beginning. Watch it right now. Middle's cool too. Press pause on that clock. Lance, number one zombie movie. So, of course, I had to pick a foreign film. Because I'm that guy. Wreck. Well, I had already picked a foreign film. Wreck. That's true. He did. Wreck. Yeah, I'd already picked a foreign one. Wreck. 2000. Wreck. Wreck. Not. No. (laughs) Obnoxious. R-E-C reg as in recording. Totally. Wreck. The 2007. Shut the the bracket up and let me finish this segment. (laughs) I was confused about the bracket. (laughs) Yeah, so wreck is short for record. Have I done? Get over it. Can I get back to carrying this show? <laughs> Wreck, the 2007 film co-directed by Paco Plaza and Wame Balaguero. This Spanish film follows the story of a television reporter named Angela, who is filming a documentary about a local fire station, doing a fluff piece as she gets to know the firemen who work there and what their daily routines are like. While she and her cameraman are filming, the fire station gets a call of a disturbance at a local apartment building, and they're invited along for the ride. Once they arrive and go inside, all hell breaks loose when a tenant who has died comes back to life. And, well, if you've been listening to this show so far, you know how this goes. Heightening the tension is the they fact... They fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> Heightening the tension is the fact that the authorities and the help everyone needs is right outside the building, but they have been quarantined inside to prevent an outbreak, leaving Angela, her cameraman, and the other survivors to fend for themselves. So found footage movies have become a big thing over the past 20 years, a lot of that owing to the Blair Witch Project, which really kicked it off as a storytelling device back in 1999. And if you're not familiar with this genre, it's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. The idea is that we're finding footage that someone filmed not in intending it for it to be a movie and we've made a movie about it to piece together the past of what happened to whomever filmed it. People have a real love-hate relationship with the whole found footage thing. Uh, I tend to like them while recognizing there are a lot of bad ones and I think the reason there are a lot of bad ones is that filmmakers tend to get lazy and just rely on that device to do their work for them. That is not the case with Wreck, which I would argue is the best found footage film I've seen to date. First, the setup is awesome and completely believable. And this is the only found footage film I've ever seen where subconsciously I started forgetting that I was watching a movie and the trick sort of worked. The filmmakers do such a great job of actually progressing the story and not letting the device carry them and do their work for them. And instead of just running from monsters the whole time, we're engaged as Angela and her cameraman are trying to figure out what's going on around them, getting new information, etc. Pacing and escalation work all the way up to the final shot, a shot which has been mimicked in many movies since, including quarantine the american ripoff where we see a girl laying on her stomach terrified staring at the camera and then suddenly get a, getting pulled away from the camera as she screams into the darkness it's pronounced remake not ripoff no i'm calling it yeah. a ripoff but it, it was it? a remake right it's it was both. a remake did you see it's the both. remake <laughs> uh no i mean it's should be pretty good is it yeah. shouldn't you rip off a movie when you're remaking it yeah i would think so yeah but you've already seen it why would you need to see it again can anybody shut up no okay <laughs> The movie does such a good job of playing with space and lighting and perspective and using the limitations of its setup to its advantage. I can't say that it broke any new technical ground, but it works with what it had and maximizes that to its advantage. The actors were never given an entire script. They didn't know their character's fate, and it was entirely possible they could come to work that day and find out their character was going to die, and that would be their last day of filming. Damn, that's the one fact I looked up about this movie. Wow. Now I have nothing. You, you could have <laughs> you know, watched it. Yeah. yeah, there's a thought. It's only 78 minutes. Yeah, so. sure. <laughs> 
Anyway, the directors also intentionally picked unknowns who had very good improvisational skills, and I think that plays heavily into the why why the movie works so well. The reactions and tone of the actors is extremely effective, and the lead—that's actually what she does—is host yeah, a TV show. I saw that. Oh, really? I saw yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, she's a real like. It's pretty cool. So she yeah. just did her thing. Yeah, she's a real TV reporter. Often in horror movies, it comes off as disingenuous because we can kind of feel the director winking at us off camera, trying to scare us. But in this, you just feel like you're right along for the ride, and that there is no one pulling the string, and that feeling that anything can happen and no one is in control makes the film more terrifying which wreck absolutely is so you recommend this movie oh nice (laughs) i don't know that i hated this movie and this is weird because i usually agree with lance Hmm. but this was i think hands down the most annoying movie i've ever seen in my life weird (laughs) whoa Hey, let's he, be clear. He didn't this, see my number. This one. season, we've done the Notebook. We've, I mean, I'm we've done so annoying. many movies that annoy you. This was the most annoying movie. Um, and well, let me. I guess let me clarify. The characters in this movie just say the same things over and well, Jordan, over. Jordan, they're speaking a different language. <laughs> you're also a zombie. So you're saying people who speak different languages just say you're the same thing zombie. over and over. No, I'm just saying it all sounded the same to you. You were. Oh, like, no, yeah. I I could only find the overdubbed version. So, oh. which by the way is a shame because I I had oh, to, yeah. when I rewatched it, I saw that too, and it was annoying. Yeah, it's so much better watching the original. I'm sure, and I would have loved subtitles. to have watched it, and I looked all over the place, and I couldn't find yeah, it. Why don't you just turn the volume down? Because you could turn it's on important the to hear movies. Caption. Oh. Well, there are other things going on. Right. I always yeah, sure. watch things in closed captions because my ears don't work. I felt like all the characters kept saying the same things over and over again, and I just wanted everybody to shut up and let the movie like move quietly for just a few minutes and give me a little bit of space because what it felt like was that they kept explaining the movie to me about how (laughs) no this little girl is sick no she's sick no I promise you she's sick cool I get it she's sick see again that was really had to do with the way they dubbed it I think because I again when I saw the original Spanish and saw it with English subtitles it was so much better I agree I'm sure Uh, I'm I'm sorry you had to see it that way because I think that did affect it a lot I I did think oh thank you shut up Hudson uh, cool I did think that the, the end was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, you basically already kind of spoiled it, but a lot of it's in the dark, mm-hmm. which they actually shot in pitch dark, which is, which is interesting and terrifying as an actor, I think, because they knew so little of what was going on. That was cool, although I found the ending to be completely predictable because they told me so many times about the attic. Mm-hmm. My number one zombie movie. Every true film lover will eventually discover the films of Edgar Wright. You, are you just aping Don't Lance? Don't be a douche. Yeah, <laughs> Not even what I said. The movie is Shaun of the Dead. Best friends and deadbeats, Shaun and Ed, get drunk one night after Sean's girlfriend breaks up with him and they wake up the next morning hungover to find the world has been taken over by zombies. Pretty great two minute long one shot scene where Sean seems oblivious to what's going on around him. They make a plan to rescue Sean's mom and girlfriend and then wait things out in a pub. A plot which is teased in an earlier scene. You know what we should do tomorrow? Keep drinking. We'll have a bloody merry first thing. Have a bite at the king's head. Couple at the little princess. We'll stagger back here. Bang. Back at the bar for Sean's. How's that for a slice of fried gold? No. Come on, man. We're going to wake things up in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really a story about best friends in that post-college period of life where you have to learn how to grow up in that difficult balance between being happy where you are and wanting to make something of yourself. And while not technically Wright's first feature film, it was the one that kicked off his career. The first in the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy, along with Hot Fuzz and The World's End, which took on action movies and alien invasion movies all of which ride that line between spoof and homage while adding something new to the genre they're all very 
funny and have such a unique energy to them. Um, he's kind of a master of tone and editing and storytelling. Did you have a film student write that for you? No, I read uh, it myself. Oh, That's cool. Basically a film student. Hmm. Me. This is a good movie. That scene you referenced, the beginning one, where uh, he wakes up the next morning and just goes like and gets milk yeah. and You're doesn't right, notice anything going on. <laughs> That's a great set piece. Um, this this is the it's best. God. This is the best zombie comedy movie I've ever seen. Zombity. Zombity. <laughs> Better than Zombieland. Um, it, it had a strange life too, because I remember it coming out in the theaters and just kind of coming and going quietly. I even I remember it being. I don't remember it being big. And in fact, oh, I remember yeah. hearing people no, like, and maybe this is just the people I was around that didn't like it. Aren't huh. you usually around Hudson and Gibby? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all the all my only friends. I, I, I didn't see this until years later. Well, since then, this movie has found a huge following, including oh, yeah. George Romero, who reportedly loved it, and Quentin Tarantino, who called it one of the best twenty films made in the past twenty five years. So some high praise. The other um, 19 of my movies. Was that, that Quentin was Tarantino? Tarantino. <laughs> Hello, I'm Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Real weird. You've never heard him talk, have you? <laughs> There's a moment in this film, and I have to, I mean, again, I've mocked some of you guys for talking about visual things, but I, yeah. I have to bring this up. The moment where he tries to jump over that fence <laughs> and the fence falls over. Yeah. I re I probably reround that 20 times and I don't do that with movies very much, but I, this, that moment alone made me love this movie. I haven't seen this movie because not, as I said, crazy about zombie comedies and cause f you guys, cause you guys don't watch any of my movies. <laughs> um, but apparently this movie references cemetery man, a lot. Huh. Nobody's ever seen Cemetery Man. <laughs> well, I have many times. Um, I think in one scene he dresses up like the Cemetery Man. Wearing a white shirt and pants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't wear like a, movie. I was trying to make like a superhero like joke. You're but dressed I guess as the Cemetery <laughs> Man right now. I've yeah. often dressed as him. There's another great scene I wanted to reference. We'll play a clip from it where they are in the pub and a zombie shows up and they're trying to defeat it. And the jukebox comes on and it starts playing Queen's Don't Stop Me Now. And well, what's the name of the song? We're not going to stop you. Just go ahead and name the song. <laughs> Gibby's being funny. Gibby nailed that one. Oh, I get yeah. it. Yeah, you just got gibbed. Wow. Anyways, and they say they, they just start beating this um, zombie with pool sticks, but they're like beating him to the beat of the song. <laughs> Where the hell did he come from? I don't know. Tonight, I'm going to have myself. Well, who the hell put this on? Some random. Say. Okay, Diane, uh, get mum somewhere safe. David, kill the queen. What's the jukebox? Uh, Liz, Ed, grab some weaponry. What about a rifle? It's not real. Cocktails. What do you mean? The flaming spirits, Trumpy, Sabuka, Brandy, get a racket. Light it. What? The whole place could go up. What then? <laughs> How about pool? Okay, John. It's time at the bar. He's got you no. Know, he's got so many great moments like that. Like yeah. when they first discover, when I think when they see their first zombie, they're singing a song out in the street. And the zombie is like groaning, but it sounds like the <laughs> zombie's singing along with them. Uh, get higher, baby. Uh, get higher, baby. Uh, get higher, girl. Uh. <laughs> 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 
It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. One thing that's great about any Edgar Wright movie is that everything is so precise. I think he and Wes Anderson, more so than any other director working today, it's, I mean, I think everything is so storyboarded and just precise on it. And this movie, like his other movies, it, this is what makes it great is that it's, it's precise. Yeah. I, I remember, it's I remember watching this movie and leaning over to my friend and going, have you noticed how precise this is? <laughs> and he so went, I'm precisely. Yeah, he's like, I was looking at the precision he's of like it. super you precise. Guys are fun of me? Yeah. That's cool. Hmm. Give me your number one zombie bit. Did you say zombie bit? <laughs> this is going to be an interesting segment. So today we, uh, we've already talked about one romantic zombie comedy, zombity, if you will. And I'm going to talk about probably the only Rom other zom-com. one. I will, no. This is from 1993, 1993, called My Boyfriend's Beck. This 1993 teen comedy directed by Christopher Guest and Wes Anderson regular Bob Balaban. Look him up, you'll recognize him. Huh. Follows young Johnny Dingle. He's a nerdy high school senior who looks 30 years old, but has been in no, a... No, he looks like 45 years old. The casting here is, is yeah. unusual. Yeah. yeah, the casting, everybody in high school is at least like in their mid-20s at the earliest. He, he's been in love since his childhood with a popular girl and classmate Missy McLeod. Johnny and his best friend Eddie decide to set up a complicated scheme where Johnny saves, saves Missy from a robbery at the gas station where she works, then ask her to prom because who can say no to a guy who saved your life? But through some unforeseen circumstances, Johnny's actually shot and dies in Missy's arms when the fake robbery they had planned turns into a real one. His last words are asking her prom, and she agrees. After the funeral, Johnny comes back from the dead because he has to take Missy to prom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trouble arises when he finds out that the only way to survive as a zombie is to eat some human flesh, and wackiness ensues. Okay, look, this isn't a great movie. <laughs> it may not even be a good movie. But it has its charms. If you can get past the terrible score, some not great acting, and pretty terrible direction. Let me tell you, you'd be really selling this. Yeah. Yeah. To me, what really makes it funny is when he comes back and everybody is just nonchalant about this dead kid in the town. And his first day at school, he shows up late to class and the teacher gives him a demerit by saying, just because you're a dead doesn't mean you come waltzing in here whenever you like. <laughs> so that, that's exactly what makes this work. And you're, you're, you're being a little too hard on this movie, actually. So you, you tried to get me to watch this for like 20 years. I did. A couple of days ago, I finally watched it and I totally understand why you've been pushing this movie. It was, it was insane. And, and I mean that as a compliment. So they they. They so sell out to this idea of it's it's almost like his being dead is like his having a it it, it, it let's say this we talked uh, last week about a movie Teen Wolf this guy turns into a werewolf and everybody totally overlooks that <laughs> the, the, the critical thing that's happened and starts moving on to like way less consequential things and that's exactly that's the yeah. comedy device they use in this movie and they do it awesome and they're so committed to it scene after scene after scene they just they keep selling out to it and like they don't let up and it, and it, like it gets funnier and funnier new ways they find to yeah. just keep reinforcing this idea can we also talk about the star power in this movie <laughs> M- Matthew Fox yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> and did you notice a young Matt McConaughey yeah. Playing the part of guy number two, <laughs> crucial role though, and, and yeah. he, like his one moment in the scene cracked me up. Yeah, it's totally Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, it's great McConaughey. Isn't that Bucks girl? Sure it is. What's she doing here with the dead kid? I don't know, man. Uh, yeah. And apparently Renee Zellweger yeah, was also in it, but was cut from the film. Oh, that's a shame. Dang. Yeah, really added a lot to this. Like like Lance was saying, the the funny part of this movie is just how everybody's okay with this dead kid coming back. I mean, the one of, there's this great line at the beginning when he's eating with his, he's already come back from the dead and he's having lunch with his friend and he takes a bite out of his friend's arm. And he says, you just tried to take a bite of my arm. I'm sorry, it was just a little bite. You shouldn't be trying to take any bites. Uh, yeah, it's, it's there. there's a moment where her parents are really concerned about it and they're like, 
maybe we just don't want you dating a dead guy. Yeah. Like they're not they're not <laughs> stunned that a man has risen from the dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. Their there's, concern is that it's not right for their daughter. There's five or six times where he's walking through the school and you just hear random asides like, "There's a dead kid." Yeah, yeah. The maybe's like, "Hey, dead guy, yeah. why are you dating a dead guy?" I like this line when Johnny says, "You may not know this, Missy, but I ate Chuck for you." And Missy's friend says, "God, my boyfriend won't even pump gas for me." <laughs> that's that's the type of line over and like and they keep hitting the same note and it just keeps working for some reason his parents are really funny in this too his parents his dad's played by the great edward herman and the mom by mary beth hurt and they're just the way that they just take it as a fact of life that their son's back and has to eat people like there's two scenes where he shows up and they've got like a little kid in the kitchen johnny come (laughs) to the kitchen there's this little kid in there I'm I'm glad you laughed at it, Lance. I did. After 20 years. Great pick. Jordan, number one. (laughs) Bring us home, JoJo. All right, so here's the deal. Usually I meticulously prepare for these segments and (laughs) write a lot, but this movie... Doesn't deserve that. No, that's not what I'm going to say. This movie (laughs) is, is so incredibly important to the zombie genre, and it is... Far and away, the best zombie movie ever made. That if you haven't seen it, you need to pause this podcast and you need to go watch the movie. Did you not listen to our "My Boyfriend's Back" segment? (laughs) Uh, I was right here, and I. They're going to be pausing this one a lot. In 1968, George Romero brought us "Night of the Living Dead." It became the classic horror film of its time. Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead contains scenes of violence that may be considered shocking. No one under 17 will be admitted. The gore is made by Tom Savini, who is the master of gore, hands down. A lot of uh, Fangoria center spreads for, oh, yeah. for Tom the, Savini. The, there. the makeup mm. and effects and gore in this movie is is untouchable and it's it's about and, and this movie wastes no time it starts in the middle of the zombie apocalypse mm-hmm. and it's in a tv station every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them it gets up and kills the people it kills get up and kill body must be exterminated either by destroying the brain or severing the brain from the rest of the body. The situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. What the hell's going on? They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. You understand that, Mr. Berman? That's what keeps them going. And you get this group of people there who team up and they're going to escape on an, on a helicopter and they make their way with a few stops in between to kill some zombies at a shopping mall. And this is Romero's great statement where they're in this shopping mall and there are a series of locked doors that are protecting them, but they've got all these supplies that they could use. And they're asking themselves like, why, why are all these zombies coming to the shopping mall? What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory what they used to do this was an important place in their lives it's really a statement on society well i mean it is in in 1978 about how these people come to the mall because 
that's what they're used to doing. So the zombies are just doing what they were doing when they were alive. Mm. And so it's a, it's a commentary on consumerism. But if you think about it that way, it really takes a lot of the fun out of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and this movie is sure. so much fun. The score is done by Goblin, which is without a doubt the best. By a Goblin? No, <laughs> the, the band. Goblin. I'm doing like his door this time. Uh, and and Dario, Dario Argento, who we mentioned earlier, was like a script supervisor. So mm-hmm. not, a, not, not what you I would normally that. think of that job. I, but he, I was confused by it. What, how did that relationship work? Like, he Did he help write the script i think he he just maybe gave advice on it mm-hmm. uh i'm not sure he would he would later cut his own version of this film for the uk release and it was called zombie right uh, if you don't know who we're talking about dar i can never get his name right dario argento dario argento is a legendary horror director who did italian movies like suspiria is probably and, his most famous yeah. one and in the most in that, in that world very very legendary figure yeah phenomenal this movie is where the line uh when there's no more room in hell the dead will walk the earth what the hell are they there are us, that's all. There's no more room in hell. What? This is something my granddaddy used to tell us. You know Makumbo? Fudu. Granddad was a priest in Trinidad. He used to tell us, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. Well, there's a space issue in hell. They only built so much of it. Right, yeah. yeah. So the yeah. devil's kind of lazy. Filled up. Yeah. Or he ran out of idle hands to help him. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> There's I'm no sure room what. in the inn. But have you guys seen this? Some movie? other spiritual figures oh, yeah. know yeah. what that's like. So the, the, I can think of a few films that made me feel as isolated and alone mm-hmm. as this movie made me feel. And I, I mean that as a compliment. But I, I remember the last time watching it coming away with a sense of how weird it was. Oh, it's so weird. And I, and I realized that in a show where we're supposed to analyze movies, it's kind of strange for me to just call it weird and leave it at that. But I couldn't put my finger on it. It's some combination of the isolation with the 70s-ishness of it. And I don't know, but I just felt like I was watching a movie that was going on in someone's warped imagination rather than an actual zombie movie. This movie does a a thing that most horror movies and and most even zombie movies don't do, which is uh, it shows a lot of these people who are desperate and are, you know, escaping being eaten constantly. Also having fun. Yeah, and because imagine yourself with free range in a shopping mall, right? And so these these people are, are having a good time right. with that, and mm. there's something really cool about that. And so there there are these passages where you're watching people have fun, and it's fun, and the music is fun, and they're even having fun fighting the zombies. But eventually, it that it's not fun anymore, right? Right, <laughs> and it's not super scary. I don't think. And so I think it opens it up to audiences that that would normally be turned off by a Romero sort of movie. It's not super scary and it's not super gory until that scene yeah. where people finally get caught and you see what the zombies can do. And, and something about holding off that level of violence until mm-hmm. that moment made it even more effective when it finally happens. Yeah. Because it lulls you into this kind of false sense of up to that point, it's like, eh, if we just kind of run kind of fast, we're good. Like the right. zombies aren't scary. They're kind of just stumbling around. But then, yeah. then you see what happens if you don't make it. And, but that's what I'm talking about, about why slow zombies are scary is that they don't stop. They're going to keep coming at you Mm. Uh, and I mean, fast zombies are really scary too. But but these slow ones that that's the magic of the slow zombie. To the me. slow building tension of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a psychological element to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, still, I'm still more scared of a running zombie. <laughs> I've never seen this Dawn of the Dead, but I did see the remake, and I like the wow, remake. How a whole applicable lot. to the situation? It is applicable. <laughs> it's a ripoff. It is a great remake. Yeah, and, and you don't really see good. a lot of those. I, I think it is worth giving a shout out to the remake. The yeah. remake, remake no, is fantastic. It is great. It is really great, and I think they're both absolutely worth watching. And yeah. and and different enough, at least in sort of style, even though they tell a very similar story, that they're both worth it. 
Well, guys, that's it for zombie talk. We'll be here every week talking about zombies. I hope not. (laughs) So, what are you guys excited about? I'm excited about today being your birthday, HP. (laughs) Yeah. Totally forget about that. Happy birthday, buddy. Thanks, guys. Happy birthday. I'm I'm glad that we're friends and that we've been friends for a long time. I appreciate you and all that you do for me and our friendship. I really appreciate all the presents, all the presents you got me earlier today. I was excited to see those. Very expensive. Yeah, uh, super expensive. I was not expecting it, but um, I just wanted to say uh, thank you. The trailer for the remake of Stephen King's It came out this week. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the internet. Ten more minutes of that. You guys want to keep <laughs> it looks phenomenal. It could end up being terrible. I don't know, but the trailer itself looks incredible, and that is one of my favorite books of all time. It is wonderfully yep. written. I would I would argue the best Stephen King book up there. For it's sure. up there. Yeah. Top five. I hope they really nailed this one because it is a book that deserves a great film. I'm excited about a movie that just was released on Netflix. It premiered at Sundance this year and I had a friend that was telling me that it was extremely great. It's called The Discovery. It stars Jason Siegel and Rooney Mara. Seems like a very cool premise where the afterlife is scientifically verified in the fallout on Earth of how that uh, how people would respond to that. It seems very cool. I'm excited to watch it. Hmm. That's interesting. Huh. Yeah. I wonder why they'd be fallout though. Well, By yeah, the director of the one I love. If you knew there was an afterlife. No. Yeah. Also directed some episodes of Silicon Valley. Is this a sequel to Martyrs? Well, that was a great movie. <laughs> I'm really excited about getting a vasectomy this week. I think it's going to be an interesting experience. And, that uh, sounds horrible. And I'm excited about interesting. fornicating again. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody's putting a knife near my dong. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to yeah. shave. Is that what they do? They do it with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, a, it's just think of it like a Rambo a knife. Yeah. They don't actually cut your testicles off, <laughs> or your, or well, your, I don't know, or your penis. They use lasers. Uh, I do have to shave myself, which I am not looking forward to. Huh. That'll be kind of hot. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll check you next. See you week. next week. Bye. Hey, y'all, join us next week when we get just a little bit personal. We argue over whether or not a movie is a love story. Uh, it is. No, uh, we also talk about a movie that got panned and then petered out. We talk about two movies that only Jordan watched. Yeah, typical. And a movie that none of us have ever seen. Nope. So, He's not kidding. as One Direction would say, it's the story of our lives. This is Vincent Price. Let us know how your list differs at fightaboutfilm on Facebook and Twitter. Email us at fightaboutfilm at gmail.com. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For friends, Fight About Film is produced by the Brothers Ray in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was recorded and edited by Jordan Noel. (laughs) 